Hello and welcome back to The Cine Skinny, the film podcast from the people behind The Skinny magazine. It's Jamie Dunn here, and I've broken away once again from the usual Cine Skinny schedule to visit the Glasgow Film Festival, which is currently in full swing. The 20th edition of the film festival kicked off last night in grand style with the UK premiere of Love Lies Bleeding, the blistering second film from St. Maud director Rose Glass. It's a wonderfully lurid neo-noir thriller starring Christian Stewart as Lou, the owner of a grimy gym in Nowheresville, New Mexico. Lou's days are filled with unclogging block toilets at the gym and dealing with her family strife. That includes protecting her put-upon sister, played by Jenna Malone, from being bashed around by her vile husband, played by Dave Franco. Lou also has issues with her father, who owns the local shooting ranch and is played by a practically demonic Ed Harris. Lou's life changes for the better when Jackie, a wannabe bodybuilder with a heart of gold, played by Kate O'Brien, walks into her gym and swiftly into her bed. Lou and Jackie's passionate romance is short-lived though, as her dysfunctional family, murky past and roid rage combine to send Lou's life into a tailspin. Love Lies Bleeding is a barnstorming film with a deliciously dark sense of humour that's full of hot sex, brutal deaths and some awesome 1980s needle drops. Before the UK premiere, we sat down with the film's uber-talented director, Rose Glass, to discuss this hugely entertaining 80s noir throwback. Take a listen. So yeah, how are you enjoying Glasgow so far, Rose? Loving it. I mean, I only got in last night and basically just had a nice dinner at the hotel and drank too much and then went for a long walk this morning to walk it off. Um, it's, it's great. I mean, I only came here once before, I think, when St. Ward was at the festival. So it's really nice to be back. I always wish I was staying a bit longer so yeah. I actually could look around. I just want to start with, can you remember um, the initial idea for um, Love Lies Bleeding? Can you remember if there's a, a spark or something that kicked it off? I think it was just wanting to do something about a female bodybuilder. I think that was just the sort of initial thing. It felt like, you know, obviously visually it seemed very striking sort of territory, but also like psychologically kind of potent and interesting. And I guess maybe as someone who's very definitely not a bodybuilder and doesn't have, I think sort of just seemed fascinated by the idea of anybody who manages to have that level of self-discipline and obsessiveness. And I read that you were actually thinking of setting it in uh, Scotland, in Glasgow yeah. actually. Is that <laughs> Well, kind of, uh, there was never like an official draft where it was like that, but when we were in the, when I co-wrote it with Veronica Tafilska, when we were sort of in the brainstorming kind of bit, we were a bit unsure where to set it. I was, a bit, to be honest, I think I was very nervous about the idea of doing it in America. Um, and somehow I just felt like I could really imagine versions of these characters being Scottish. I don't know why. <laughs> And then and part of me still thinks that would have been great. But I think then as the story started to develop just logically, it sort of made a lot more sense to put it out in America, just the sort of vastness, I guess. Yeah. Um, and all the guns and stuff like that. Was it something about the, the beefy Scottish? <laughs> Must have been. It's actually yeah. just one is like some really like, like muscle-bound. Buff, muscle-bound butch Scottish lesbians. <laughs> you said you were nervous about um, setting in America. Why do you think that was? Well, I'm not from there. I felt, I'm not, obviously, I'm not from Scotland, but it's that bit closer. And particular, I mean, I'd, I'd literally been to America like once or twice, pretty much just when promoting St. Maud, and that was just, you know, LA for a few days. So I'd never been to that bit of the country. And also, we ended up sort of leaning into it instead, but I was obviously nervous about the fact that there's just so many famous films that are from that time and era and sort of, you know, all that kind of visual language of Americana, which almost feels kind of mythological now almost. There's so there's basically so many films <laughs> which kind of have a toe in the same sort of world that I guess I was just nervous about 
feeling um, out of my depth or like how do you make it interesting or how do you make it feel new? Because I remember when we spoke before um, for St. Maud, you did mention, asked who your favourite filmmakers were or who your inspirations were, and you were saying people like David Lynch or David Cronenberg. No, yeah. I know Cronenberg's Canadian, but I think he's yeah, yeah. American. Uh, but like, you know, so it seems like that's your influence. So did you always want to make a film in America? I mean, I guess it's sort of, America's just such a sort of omnipresent influence on everything. Like it's all films and TV, like there's even if even if you've never been, that's the weird thing about going to like Albuquerque, for instance, and being in New Mexico. I'd never been before, but it felt everything felt so familiar because you realize you've seen diners in a million films and all this kind of stuff. And probably a lot of film, maybe a lot of European filmmakers have because of that. There's this sort of almost like siren call of like sort of fascination, kind of drawing you towards Hollywood. I guess it all just feels very like myth, myth-like. And particularly this genre, you know, like a, like the new noir, yeah, is yeah. Like, or just the noir in general, is just such an American genre. It's yeah, like exactly. so cinematic. I'm just wondering, who were your influences with filmmakers or films that you were thinking of while you were writing this? And, and I making think it? because it is such a kind of record, because there are so many films which, like I said, have a foot in this time and place. In a way, I tried to not revisit a lot of those films, so like I sort of actively. <laughs> didn't revisit stuff like Bound. I'd never seen Thelma and Louise and I deliberately didn't watch it while we were writing it or making it because it's one of those ones that's sort of so famous that even if you haven't seen it, you sort of feel like you have and I'm sure it has an influence on stuff anyway. Um, or like Wild at Heart, True Romance, I've still never watched. So it was definitely a bit of kind of like putting fingers in your ears and kind of being la la la. Like all of these films are sort of so influential anyway. I kind of, it was sort of trying to go the other way. I mean, there were some films, so like, yeah, I'd said... Uh, and these were more things that I suggested to the actors to watch. So like after we'd written the script, so more in terms of just trying to get into their heads, the sort of tonal world it might take place in. So I gave them a list which had things like Showgirls and Saturday Night Fever and Crash, which is sort of, I mean, particularly, there's quite like, different. quite different, but there's like, I was like hoping that there's maybe some weird like Venn diagram sort of tiny crossover. And it's like maybe somewhere where those things intersect. And I guess in all the films, there's like, in all those films, there's a real kind of intensity and liveliness to everyone's performances all of those films in different ways, all the actors feel like they're literally about to sort of burst off the screen somehow kind of thing. It's all very visceral and energetic. And then I think just to sort of throw them off the idea of it being too 100% American, I think then I also suggested they watch like The Night Porter and The Snake of June, which I don't know if either of them did, but they were just sort of far more left field, subversive, weirdly erotic kind of films um, with slightly more, actually not European, that's why one of them's Japanese and the other's the night porter takes place in Italy. I get that wrong. Anyway, but there's yeah, all weird examples of weird erotic relationships. I guess also those those films, or well, some of them anyway, have got like really morally ambiguous characters. You know, yes. characters who uh, you know don't do great yeah. things. Um, is that something that appealed to you writing a film with with characters? Oh, yeah, who you... definitely. I don't think anybody particularly wants to watch. I mean, well, certainly it must be a minority. People don't go to the cinema to watch nice, well balanced, friendly people yeah. making sensible choices. Um, it's just not as interesting. And yeah, I think definitely for me, like growing up and like always, it's, I enjoy watching films where you sort of, you see someone doing the terrible thing, but you sort of, you understand it somehow. I think that's kind of quite a, a healthy thing to confront yourself with maybe. And I guess if the film's about anything, it's, you know, it's, it's all, um, it's all done fairly with a tongue definitely somewhere in its cheek. But, um, you know, the idea that, we're all equally, perhaps equally capable of doing terrible and wonderful things. 
everyone's kind of got it in them. We all like to think that, oh, I would never do this. I would never do that. That must be the you know very othering of people who make who do things we don't approve of. But anyway, I don't know. Yes, <laughs> waffle, waffle. Yes, morally ambiguous characters making mistakes is yeah. what I like. <laughs> I think the first thing that strikes me about the film, um, you know, in the first five minutes, yeah. I, I sort of thought, my God, I've seen a lot of bodies here and a lot of flesh and yeah. sweat and pores, and and then I realised actually that's something that I actually don't always see in cinema. So it's something's quite sanitised. So yeah. it, seemed, it seems something you're quite interested in, it's sort of the body and kind of like its I flesh. I think so. Stuff. I don't know. I mean, I think that's something I've always been interest, interested in is kind of bodies and the sort of weird, varied relationships people can have with them. And I like sort of cinema, the kind of sort of the nature, it sort of lends itself to choreography quite well. And I, I don't know, just like physical, you know, I've been interested in kind of physical theatre and dance and all that kind of stuff. And probably it was compounded by also then writing it mostly during lockdown where obviously everything's incredibly sanitised, so it's that bit more enjoyable to find yourself sort of writing as many sort of sweaty, vomiting, bodily fluid kind of scenes as possible. Um, yeah, I think just texturally, because coming off the back of St. Maud, that definitely had some sort of grubbiness to it, but the settings were a little bit more kind of like language and velvet drapes and all this kind of slightly more theatrical fabulousness to it. So I think coming into this, it was almost just the sort of like texture and feel of it was was more of a clear thing in my head than necessarily, oh, it's this kind of film, that kind of film. So, you know, something that was more grubby and sweaty and twitchy. Yeah. And I, I described it as a noir, but actually at the edges, there's a lot of body horror uh, coming yeah. in, which is something that is what you obviously did previously with uh, St. Maud. Why, why do you think that's something you come back to? Body horror. Well, it's, it's like the last one, I guess it's just sort of being interested. That's just sort of what comes naturally and what I'm most interested in, I guess. Um, and the sort of... Dis- the both the connection and disconnection between our brains and bodies. And it's weird that we're sort of, which bit of it actually is us and we're sort of trapped inside something so physical, but in our brains, I don't know, the the disconnect between those two things is quite interesting to me. I think it's, I'd say it's a noir as well. And probably off the back of leaning into some of those sort of, I think me and Vera, when we were writing it, really enjoyed leaning into playing with like the tropes of those kinds of films as well and characters it's sort of it was fun leaning into archetypes and then hopefully twisting them into something a bit surprising hopefully how was it co-writing is that uh, something you enjoyed I loved it I mean I'm now starting to write the next thing which I'm actually doing by myself but I think no doubt after I've done this I want to co-write with Vera again I think it's you know it's definitely something I'd consider going forward I think it kind of depends on the project I think for this one it made a lot more sense because it just ended up sprawling and having a lot more characters and like if I was doing it by myself I don't think I'd have felt at all confident writing that kind of like the, the the sort of you know crime thrillery story is quite um complicated to map out it sprawled into this like family melodrama and all these different dynamics whereas St Maud was like basically one or two people but I, I loved it because I I think St Maud like I, I had a wonderful time making it and it obviously got received really well which was great but the the writing process I felt very out of my depth and it was very daunting and very stressful all that kind of imposter syndrome kind of thing and you're like you feel like you're just writing into a into a void and like, am I just spending all my time writing this thing and it's never going to happen? And without having somebody there with you to bounce ideas off, it's very easy to just sort of spiral down into this sort of dark pit of like, everything's terrible, I hate everything I've written. Whereas with Vera, it was like, we, you know, we, she's one of my closest friends anyway. And so a lot of this was just wanting to find ways to entertain each other. Yeah. Which was fun. Um, I also thought... Um... Kristen Stewart was fantastic in this oh, yes. as uh, Lou. Um, what, what qualities were you looking for for that character and what, what does uh, Kristen Stewart bring? It kind of just felt like a very natural fit, to be honest. Like, I just sort of could... 
once we'd sort of started to imagine what this character was like and then it was you know okay do the exercise of who your fantasy cast would be she was kind of the only actress that really sprung to mind and just felt very natural I mean because I guess Lou's a bit of a she's on some level I guess if it's the film noir thing she's kind of like the sort of morally ambiguous anti-hero who's kind of a bit um like haunted by her past and smokes too much and is kind of you know and Kristen I think embodies that but there's I don't know I just kind of like the idea of her being a bit of like a moody heartthrob as well <laughs> but a very neurotic one yeah and then there's something also about her and this character which sort of like reminded me a bit of you know a friend growing up when I was a teenager there's something a little bit sort of adolescent about the character as well and she's very enigmatic I think and quite mysterious and I suppose the character was meant to be someone who on the surf, who's very kind of closed up and emotionally a bit constipated you know she's a bit of a mystery you've kind of got to unpick throughout the film and I think Kristen's just very good at that she can sort of convey a lot whilst appearing to do very little I guess and she's just incredibly charismatic totally and, and, and was um, Jackie a trickier prospect I guess there's yes. not so many actresses who fit the physicality of, of that character yeah like it, we I'd said from the beginning that I wanted to find a bodybuilder because we it would just be a bit rubbish if if she didn't convince in that way. And, you know, that was the whole sort of starting point that had got me excited about doing the film anyway. Because I think there's something undeniable about get, about bodybuilding and getting yourself in that shape. There isn't really a shortcut. So we did inevitably have conversations with, like, financiers and casting people who were sort of, oh, maybe we could get so-and-so to, you know, start training. And, you know, we've got four months maybe they'll get. And it's like, no, nah, it just wouldn't. Um, it takes a lot more than that. But also it's a... So I I went in being like, we'll find a bodybuilder who's never acted before and it's going to be incredible and this will be easy. I'm sure there's loads of them around. And then it turned out that that was actually really difficult. So our casting directors just got like a million people to tape and we were seeing bodybuilders, but also like weightlifters, wrestlers, all different kinds of sort of athletes who had the physicality but hadn't acted. And then quite a few actors who maybe had some sort of sporting background and we could just never find someone who had the performance chops but then also had the physicality. And then fortunately... Scarily close to the shoot, Katie saw an advert for a casting call. I think a fan of hers had sent it to her on Twitter, so I need to find that fan and buy them a drink. But then she got contacted us basically being like, hello, I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, why didn't we hear about you before? And she'd been a bodybuilder in the past. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, I think Kate and Kristen, they both have fantastic chemistry. Was that instantaneously? Did they have to work on that together? Or? It's kind of instant. Like, it's... Um, because we didn't really, because we cast Katie not too long before we started shooting. So when they met for the first time, it was, you know, her final audition, this kind of chemistry read thing where she just was reading the scenes with Kristen. And then I think I literally, once we were out in Albuquerque, we like read through the script together once, just sort of talked about each scene just to make sure all three of us were on the same page about what what's going on between them at any given point. But we didn't really rehearse anything until we were there. They're both just really good actors, I think. And I suppose you sort of hope that if you've cast the right people... Yeah, the chemistry thing's weird because on the one hand, I think there's a lot of different things that go into it and you can be a bit sort of unromantic about it and be like, yes, it's obviously we cast the right people, they it's their performance, you know, and everything to do with like what the sound is doing, how you edit a scene. It's all very, everything that everyone's doing is like trying to manipulate this fictional scenario. But you sort of, even if you do all that right, I think you just have to sort of pray that there's also this extra little magical spark or something which... Um, which there was, and you only, I only really started to see it when we're already shooting and you're sort of watching the rushes at the end of every day and it was just like, oh, thank God. Um, so that was lucky. And you set it in, I think it's 89, is yeah. that right? Um, 
why, why was that? Uh, why did you choose that period? What was what it's went the year I was born? So it's all okay. about me. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not. It's um. It was well. We we settled on eighty nine in the end just because we had to pick a year. Because when we see the bodybuilding competition, I was like, oh, well, we've got to specify it then. But until then, I'd, I'd sort of wanted it to be like kind of eighties, kind of nineties, somewhere around then. I mean, I keep saying in interviews stuff like, oh, it was to do with the excess of the eighties about to tip over into nihilistic nineties. But to be honest, I. Which did make sense as well in terms of the film's maybe slightly cynical attitude towards excess and ambition. But it was more to do with just like logistical plotting stuff at first when me and Vera were just working on the story. It just, it, it really changes things if you set a film before everyone was on the internet. And I think particularly because we wanted to be that both of these characters felt like real misfits and quite isolated. I guess just the thing of like sort of subcultures and niches and people, you know, before we could all connect on the internet that bit more I guess it just makes the isolation that both characters have that bit more potent and it's really annoying if you're trying to make your characters lives difficult and then they can just whip out their phone and like <laughs> um, I love there's a film that centers on a kind of lesbian couple um, but uh, you know none of their issues stem from being gay um, yeah. like was that something that was important to you that they're, they're absolutely yeah yeah definitely it's like um, that was yeah that was kind of the a lot of the reasoning behind it was just not I mean you know there's obviously a lot of very wonderful um, queer cinema where those things are very much front and center and of course you know issues of like coming out and um, and all these things that maybe we've seen more in stories in films obviously that's all well and good but I think I just personally would like to just was like I'd like to see a queer relationship where the film's not just all about that it just feels a bit like it's something that's maybe a bit too familiar now. So, yes, that was deliberate. <laughs> it's also really cool that this, you know, your very unashamedly queer film full of, like, hot lesbian scenes is only yeah. a film festival. I feel like that wouldn't have really happened sort of 10 years ago even. So, like, do you think there's something changed? I hope so. I mean, I'd like to... Yeah, it's, it's weird because I sort of... All of that kind of side of it, you sort of don't really think about too consciously when you're writing it beyond the fact of let's not make it all about that. So I think me and Vera were just constantly just trying to be led by what was the most interesting version of the story. But um, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm curious how it goes down in that respect. And it, yeah, it shouldn't... I like to think that people just... Or a lot of audiences are hopefully just move past that kind of thing now. Although inevitably... I felt, you know, but it's still the case that if you put a trailer of this on the internet or any clip with Kristen talking in it for that matter, just the 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 amount of horrible like comments that it immediately gets is still pretty disheartening. And maybe when you're in a nice sort of bubble of the film festival and you sort of like forget it a bit. But yes, I'm, I don't know. I don't, there's, I don't know how I feel about that side of it. I'm curious how it's going to go down. Yeah. How were the reactions? Have you sat in and sat with an audience yet? And watched yeah, it's it? been it's been really fun. The, I sat in for Sundance in Berlin, and the audience was very vocal in both cases, which is just like the biggest relief <laughs> as a filmmaker. You just sort of like engineer all these moments, just praying that people will find the same bits funny, and then they actually did. And then I think, well, I mean, Sundance, I think apparently are a notoriously loud audience. So I mean, I don't know if this will happen every time, but you know, they were literally like applauding at certain like sort of murders and things happening, like sort of JJ gets murdered, and they're like, hooray! Um, so that's very gratifying. Um, yeah, well, I guess maybe I don't want to spoil anything, but the film does go to quite unexpected places, um, as did Saint Maud. You know, so it seems like you really enjoy surprising the audience and sort of, you know, yeah. 
bringing in these ideas that you wouldn't find in a kind of typical noir, say. Can you talk about that without revealing ah, too that, much? Yes, that. Um, I mean, I think surprising people and surprising yourself is can be like the ultimate thrill, really. Particularly if it's surprised in a good way. There's nothing I enjoy more, personally, when I'm watching a film. So I guess that's something you're sort of trying to do. I think it might, I'm sure it'll kind of like divide people a little bit. It seems to have done so far in terms of what they think about the ending. I love it and I'm very proud of it. But yeah, definitely, it was definitely not the easiest sell maybe when we were sort of in the process of um, financing it and making it and was quite a daunting. There's something that happens toward the end, which I was, uh, which was just daunting on all levels in terms of like, how are we going to pull this off practically, like the effects and um, uh, tonally, it's probably the biggest swing that the film takes which to me was very exciting. But I figure unless you're sort of like taking risks and risking, I don't know, unless you're taking some risks and taking some big swings, you're not going to make something interesting. So hopefully, yeah, hopefully people like that. Uh, that's the time, but you did mention you were writing something. Are you allowed to say what it is or is that... A, uh, that no, uh, nothing yet. It's like it's, I'm, I'm really like quite early writing it, but I'm really excited about it, but I'm not going to say anything in case I jinx it. Okay, well, I look forward to seeing. Okay, I'll see you again at the next one. Yeah, definitely. I hope so. <laughs> nice well, one. Thanks, thanks for this. Cool. Thank you very much. So a big thank you to Rose Glass for speaking to us. If you missed Love Lies Bleeding at Glasgow Film Festival, do not worry. The film will be released the 19th of April via Lionsgate. And for more information on what's on at Glasgow Film Festival, head to theskinny.co.uk slash film for all our GFF coverage. That's all from me. See you next time. Bye.